Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's strung my outs? I'm Robert Evans, host of Behind the Bastards. Uh, I was up too late last night ingesting narcotics, and today's going to be a shit show. Thankfully, to help me get through it, I have my co-host, Jamie Loftus. Hi, Robert. What's going on? You two literally was just... You just got home and you just started doing whippets. You You know what I did last night? Huh. I did. Well, we can edit out if you don't want to get specific. But we can just bleep the drug of, of uh, choice this would, time out, which would honestly make it sound way cooler than what you actually yeah. did. Let, let's <laughs> let's leave plausible deniability that it might have been legal. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, I I did something that was legal but very sad. I did that thing where you get this the little su- the little four pack of su- tiny Sutter homes were on sale. Uh-huh. Oh, that's that is deeply sad, Jamie. And then I drank all four. It's sad. It's sad to drink yeah. all. It's not sad. It, it comes out to like no. two thirds of a bottle of wine, which is actually now that I'm saying it out loud, also sad. But <laughs> drinking four but what, tiny bottles is it's tough. It's tough. What What's sad is that when you're in that space, you want wine, but you don't have your shit together enough to open a bottle to like pull a cork out. Like that's when you drink those Sutter home bottles. With the like, little, like they're twist tops, and they were they were heavily discounted at my CVS. God knows why. Maybe some, there was tape on them. I don't know. I like, drank all four of them. Like it, it, the mood that you are in when you drink that is like I I have the wherewithal. I have no like the the most that I can handle right now is opening a soda, but I want it to be wine. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I just, yeah. I don't know. I got, I, I I'm gonna cut myself slack on it. I'm not gonna do any self searching about why I drank the four tiny ones. I no. had, I was fine. I had a fine day. I don't have, I don't have a problem right now. No, you see, this ties actually into the theme of the episode, Jamie. Yeah. Because this is behind the bastards, the show where we talk about the worst people in all of history. I'm sorry, I and a we lot of the worst up. people in all of history spend way too much time analyzing themselves rather than just not thinking about things too hard. And that is where we get terrible, terrible people like the person we're talking about today. Love it. Yeah, that was a good <laughs> intro. Who is I pulled it out in the end. Who is it? No one No one ever tells me anything anymore. I, I asked to know, and then I was handily rejected. Well, you will not know this person by their name. Have you ever heard of Arthur Desmond? N- no, he sounds like a sexy cartoon prince. He is not. Now, Ooh, have let's you do heard? A, let's hit Google Images. <laughs> have you heard of Ragnar Redbeard? Yes. Why have I heard of that? Is that a metal well, band, Robert? N- n- well, actually, yes, but that's not what it is originally. <laughs> um, okay. You you remember the Gilroy Garlic Festival mass shooting? Yes, I do. Well, yeah, on July 28th, 2019, Santino Legan cut a hole in the fence surrounding that festival, snuck mm-hmm. inside, and started shooting at people with an AR-15. Yes. He killed three. He wounded 17. His youngest victim was six years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, as we always do now after a mass shooting, uh, a bunch of researchers and law enforcement started like going through that guy's online presence to try to figure out, all right, what was this one? Was this guy like a, a white nationalist? Was this an ISIS guy? Was this just like just a dude shooting people for no reason? Sure. And we found uh, an Instagram post that the shooter had made a couple of days before the shooting, and he attached an image of like Smokey the Bear with a sign that said "Fire Danger High Today," hmm. and then he posted, "Read Might Is Right." by Ragnar Redbeard. Why overcrowd towns and pave more open space to make room for hordes of mestizos and Silicon Valley white twats? Wow. That was his post. So, Might is Right is a very famous book. It's not the most prominent piece of white nationalist literature, but it's up there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the guy who uh, wrote it used a pseudonym because no one has ever been named Ragnar Redbeard. Like, Vikings would have been like, dude, that's, that's a little bit much, huh? Right. Like yeah, little right. little silly. It's a bit yeah. over the top. It does sound like a like a steampunky kind of like a D and D kind of name. I I really one of the untold stories of history is how many mass shootings Dungeons and Dragons has helped us to avoid by They're, giving people with uh too much imagination and outlet rather just than somewhere to go. Yeah. Not mass shootings, but like shitty books. I I, I shouldn't say mass shootings. It's it, it's it's stopped a lot of shitty books from happening cuz the the tale of Arthur Desmond is the tale of a guy who if he'd gotten together with friends and been able to play barbarian for like 4 hours every Sunday. What's barbarian? Maybe he wouldn't have written this book. It's it's a class in Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah, Jesus Christ, Jamie. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, King. Just getting screamed at by a man in a kimono. I'm not paid to be here, Robert. You're just screaming at me in a kimono. I do like the kimono. I like the pattern of it. Thank you. Thank you. This kimono is... I don't know. I don't when have a this, joke about the kimono. When did this come into the... This, I, the last time I was here, it was, it was, we were just still at the... the what, what is the big uh, hooked knife? The fluffy... What? The, oh, the the machete? The machete. That's what I was trying. To I say. have a lot of machetes. I, I know have that. A lot of machetes around. But where yeah. does the kimono? What happened? Like, what's the story with the kimono? 
Oh, my, my parents lived in Japan for most of their lives or a huge chunk of their lives. And so I would get kimonos as gifts on a regular basis and they're comfortable. Okay. Well, I like that. Yeah. 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 They're nice. It's a nice thing to put on when you're hungover in the morning and you have to do your podcast with your good friend, Jamie Loftus. I can't say it enough. It is not the morning. <laughs> it is not. It is. It is well after 2 p.m. <laughs> but I have been up for less than a half hour. So. That's true. It was fun to watch in real time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If if my shit is not together, like when I'm when my shit's not together, I start comparing people who play Dungeons and Dragons to mass shooters, which is wildly unfair and not the point I was trying to make. Um, but but and yet we had to cancel you. <laughs> and yeah, th- this is how I get. Oh, please cancel me. It oh wasn't. my god, I could go back to sleep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. <laughs> there is. I forget who. Tw- I don't know who tweeted this, but there was a tweet that was like, "I hope when I get canceled, I'm surrounded by my closest family and friends." And uh, I feel the same way. We'll all be canceled one day, and then we will go to the happy hunting grounds uh, where we can all get on open mics and shout racial slurs. Uh, which is uh, uh, like, like, oh, what was no. that guy? Seinfeld. It's it's Seinfeld heaven. Jer- uh, si- what? The guy. Jerry Seinfeld? <laughs> no, no, no. Kramer. Oh, oh, Michael Richards. That's the joke I was... Yes. Michael Richards heaven would just be... Oh, I thought you were like, I want to hear Jerry racial... Seinfeld scream no, slurs. No, I'm like, no, why would no. you want that, Robert? It's this one poorly constructed joke after another. Um, <laughs> you're waking up. I can see you're drinking coffee. You can see the pieces of the joke, right? Everything. Yeah. I can see the ingredients, and but you just yeah. threw them in the bowl. <laughs> yeah. That's actually how I cooked breakfast they this were... morning. <laughs> just oats without water. <laughs> Drinking Ooh, coffee. Just spooning dr- oats just into my mouth. Dry oats. Oh, that's <laughs> <Yeah>. so nasty. <laughs> I had the the, the uh, breakfast place I go to, um, they finally told me that they think what I do to my breakfast is gross. Which is What fair. do you do to your breakfast? I get a bagel with cream cheese and a tomato on top. And then I put so much salt on top of the tomato and the bagel, and then I dip the whole thing in five packets of ketchup. Now, you see, Jamie, I was actually going, like, I was planning before you gave that out to, like, make fun of you for whatever it was you were doing, because, like, you set the precedent that that was okay, but that does sound good. They were like, it's too much ketchup, it's too much salt, you're going to die. And I hope I do. Yeah. We all will. Yeah. Hopefully we get canceled first, so we have some time to sleep. So you can really have a time to panic, yeah. It's time to talk about a man who was never canceled and definitely should have been. Uh, Arthur Desmond, who <laughs> is almost certainly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this, this guy, Ragnar Redbeard, who wrote this book, Might is Right. Obviously, it was a pseudonym. And we don't 100% know who wrote Might is Right, but we're about 90% sure it was Arthur Desmond. There are some people who will say it was Jack London, but he would have been like a teenager when the book came out. Oh. Um, and also, Jack London was not that racist. Um, well, that's pretty good. racist, yeah, but not that racist. <laughs> so Arthur Desmond, in addition to being Ragnar Redbeard, is probably, or because he's Ragnar Redbeard, is widely considered to be the most internationally influential political thinker in New Zealand's history. Now there are only about fourteen people in New Zealand, so this is an easier like if you're going to pick a, a country to be the most influential international political thinker from, it's one of the easier ones. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately for New Zealand. He was a gigantic piece of shit. Um, no. Yeah. Someone well, on this show? Bad guy? 
This is actually, I'm excited to talk about this one with you, because this is a guy who's more complicated than you'd expect from a dude who wrote a book called Might is Right and used the name Ragnar Redbeard. Yeah. He actually started out kind of awesome. Um, so this is like a huh. this is like a fucking Godfather like story of like a dude who seemed like he was kind of on a pretty great path uh, and then basically became a Nazi. So it, it's I mean it's a it's a common thread. There's a, it's relatable for many people in the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, unfortunately, yes, uh, yeah. about thirty percent. Um, now, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I believe so, you. We don't know precisely when Arthur Desmond was born, or exactly where, nor do we know anything about his parents. Uh, Mark Derby, who's a historian who wrote a book about Arthur, said in an interview, I'm not certain that Arthur Desmond is his real given name. It probably isn't. If you dig into this guy as much as possible using the internet, you'll run into speculation that he was probably born around 1842, certainly in the early 1840s. Uh, He was of English and Irish descent, and he probably grew up somewhere around Hawke's Bay in New Zealand. Nice. And that's Hawke's, Hawke's with an E. Yeah, it's a cool name. Now, so one he, side he I had found, a New Zealand yeah. he had a New Zealand accent. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay, yeah, this, guy this is going to inform was, my my uh, opinion of him in his yeah, favor. Just just imagine the guy like just pick a random cast member from what we do in the shadows <laughs> and assume that's how this guy sounded. Like, oh, Whichever oh, one you oh, want. Oh, yeah. Okay, so it's Brett. Yeah. Okay, so it's okay. Brett. Yeah. <laughs> Good choice. Got it. Got it. <laughs> Um, now, one site I found makes the claim that Arthur Desmond's, quote, background and date of birth has never been confirmed because throughout his life he made a point of covering his tracks, which is always a sign that somebody was up to a lot of good. <laughs> <laughs> Now, whatever the reality of his mysterious origins, 1884 is the year in which Arthur Desmond first emerges solidly into the historical record. Uh, He was, you know, somewhere between like 20 and 40 when he stepped forward to declare his candidacy for parliament. The editor of the Hawks Bay Herald wrote, quote, we only know that Mr. Desmond is a cattle drover and that he is of radical tendencies. (laughs) Desmond Rand, uh, yeah, yeah, he's a political radical um, in a way that's good for the time. Right. He, uh, he, he ran as a representative of the small settler and the working man, um, and he convinced about 190 people to vote for his platform, which was mainly based around what he called a single tax. This was a very okay. revolutionary plan to eliminate all taxes within the colony and replace them with a single tax on land ownership. So he's anti-aristocracy, anti-elite. He just wants the, the rich people to deal with the burden of taxes to like free up the common man and the laboring classes and whatnot. Okay. Which seems... Yeah, yeah, I mean, pretty progressive for for the era. Pretty progressive for this he's era, a, to be he's honest. On a, he's on a good track, yeah. He's on a good track. Now, between, Desmond I'm was, sorry, I'm stuck on between 20 and 40. Yeah, I don't know. Some some sources say that he was, like, born in 1842, and, you know, the 1880s is when he got started into politics, but other sources say he was, like, 25 when he got started into politics. I really have no idea. Again, That's we don't know when wild. this fucker was born. Damn. You know, it was also the mid-1800s. Nobody kept records. People just, like, dropped babies into fields, and then off you went. <laughs> we should just start describing ourselves this way. We were like, yeah, yeah. sometime be- between ages 20 and 40. Uh, I would love that to be on my driver's license. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, between 20 and 50. Yeah, somewhere in there. (laughs) So, yeah, he was was a a radical politician. You would call him like a radical left-wing pro-labor guy. Uh, I'm going to quote now from one of his speeches during this period where he's talking about sort of the working classes and their plight. 
I have seen men living in a hut where no fire was allowed, going to bed on a wet, cold day to keep themselves warm. I have seen the wind and the rain coming in through the cracked roof and the winter storm whistling through the rafters as it does through the rigging of a ship. And I have also known of the owners of these colonial farms gallivanting in some London ballroom upon the profits of these slaves' labor. So pretty, uh, pretty woke guy, you know. Yeah, seems fine. Sounds he was good. also uh, an outspoken defender of Maori rights to their own ancestral land. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah, he was anti-white people stealing native land. Um, so that's cool. What's the yeah. twist with this motherfucker? It's less of a twist and more of like a, a, a gradual turn that eventually leads to him going in the complete opposite direction. Ugh. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see if we can pinpoint where this happens. All right. So, you know, obviously, uh, this guy's a left-winger. The press at the time instantly started mocking him and his wild beliefs about landowners paying taxes and indigenous people existing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arthur wrote back to his detractors, and he accused the entire elected government of New Zealand of being a pack of thieves. He was promptly banned from being published in the Hawke's Bay Weekly Courier. Nice. Three, yeah, three years, yeah, yeah, he was, like, writing writing fiery letters to the editor. I like it. Now, three years later, in 1887, Desmond ran for parliament again. He claimed that his radical politics had prompted the landowners he relied on for work to blacklist him. Unable to find work, he'd had to travel far from home in order to get hired by people who hadn't heard of him. Mm -hmm. In spite of this, Desmond doubled down on his stances, excoriating landlords, bankers, monopolists, and capitalists in general in his speeches. He also introduced a new policy. Now, rather than just taxing landholders, he also wanted to nationalize all large estates and effectively take land away from the very wealthy. Okay. He was, yeah, he was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, by, by my opinion here, he yeah. was more successful in this campaign and actually obtained a majority of the votes in Taradale, which was the second largest town in the district. Many Kiwis cheered when he called bank directors scoundrels and landlords blood-sucking leeches. Yes. And the press, yeah, 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 right. You are, you are all on board with Arthur Desmond so far. Yeah. When the press attacked his radical politics, he called them hirelings of monopoly, which was almost certainly fair. Nice. Good band name. Uh, Good band name. Yeah, Hirelings of Monopoly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like a ska band that advises <laughs> say, people to like pay their rent. Ska. Yeah, dad ska. Pay your rent on time. Like they're somehow know, always really headlining sky-y. in New Hampshire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Despite his substantial progress, Arthur Desmond still lost the election by some 400 votes. Now, a more patient Bernie Sanders-like radical might have kept on building his base of support. After all, he'd tripled his number of voters between 1884 and 1887. That's pretty good for a radical politician. It's entirely possible he'd have won a seat in Parliament after another couple of years of base building and preaching his cause to the masses. But he never got that chance. Some of this may be due to the fact that he was an impatient, cussed son of a bitch, but mostly it was because he'd failed to actually pay back any of the debts incurred by his campaign, leaving his supporters holding the bag. By some accounts, he was quite literally run out of town. So that's cool. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's... So maybe a little bit of a scoundrel. Uh, oh, good. I love right when things. someone says the right things and then is secretly okay. So he's just like a. He seemed like he was a force of good, and then it turned out he was maybe just a regular politician. He's still more complicated than that. We've got a lot Ugh. to go before he heel turns, and it's. Uh, really? I don't really know what to make of this guy. This is one of the more confusing figures I've dealt with, and there's a lot of aspects of what he believed. Like he was, I'll say this from the beginning, he was anti-Semitic, mm-hmm. but also it it at the start it doesn't seem like he was more anti-Semitic than anybody else. Like okay. everybody was shitty towards Jewish people in fucking 1850s New Zealand or wherever <laughs> you happen to be. Um, yeah. 
because that was just that was just life, you know, or 1880s. It, it was just everyone was racist as hell. Um, so Desmond next moved to a place with the very upbeat name of Poverty Bay, which why would you name it that? <laughs> It really seems like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I, like most people pick like upbeat. Greenland, we'll call it like, like, like optimistic or Tejas, which means friendship. And the, the New Zealand's <laughs> like, everyone here is just going to be fucking poor. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what we're calling They're this like, place. Listen, we can aspire for more, but why bother? Yeah. It why is fucking what it bother? Is. Poverty Bay. Uh, you know, to some extent, that's kind of comforting because you set the bar low. Nobody's going to feel like they're a failure in Poverty Bay. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. So Desmond found work in a timber mill and on a series of small farms. The money was not good. The labor was backbreaking, and the strain of working all day for someone else's profit clearly wore on his soul. Years later, Desmond would write about this period, quote, Many a time when lying on my back in a bush ware or a tent after a day of grinding toil, have I resolved that if I ever had the chance to sweep away such a brutal system, it would not be neglected. Ooh, okay. Yeah. This sounds like a, yeah, this is like a first act of the movie kind of yeah. declaration. Yeah. Okay. Now, during his time out in the bush working at farms, he spent a lot of time with Maori people. And at some point, he met a fellow named Te Kuti. Mm. Now, Te Kuti was a Maori warrior and a former guerrilla leader. He'd basically been a terrorist. Like, this guy had been kind of like a New Zealand equivalent of a dude like, he, he would have, he'd been viewed a lot, at least, like a guy like Bin Laden. I don't think he was that bad, but he killed a lot of people. Okay. And then as an older man, he reformed and he built a church and he became more of like a, a peaceful activist um, and was very, very popular. So this is a guy who like, and like in fairness, if you're a Maori in New Zealand at this point and you like decide to murder a bunch of white people, Mm-hmm. You have some good reason to do that. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, there's yeah, usually yeah. really good reasons. <laughs> yeah, in general. Um, okay. Jamie Loftus so, pro terrorism. So, so wait, he was like, I was going to make a terrible, but it. I, I every time someone was like, and then they kind of liked him at the end of his life. I'm like, oh, it's like when people gave Saddam Hussein like Doritos. Yeah, I mean, he seems like he was a charming guy, Saddam Hussein. We all he we'd got all have his, given him Doritos. He got his Doritos. That's all I know. He did get his Doritos. I think Tekuti was a better person than Saddam Hussein, but that is a low bar. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Wow, really coming in hot for Tekuti. Yeah. Now, Desmond had initially started hanging out with Tekuti's followers as part of an effort to learn some of their songs and rituals. It seems to have been like an anthropological thing to him. He was just interested in Maori culture. Okay. Uh, And so, you know, at at some point in like the the late 1880s, uh, Tekuti decides that he's going to head back to Gisborne, uh, which is the town of his birth, and do like, like visit there with some of his followers. And this is hugely controversial among the white people who live in the area, because obviously this guy had been a terrorist for a long time. And they like formed an armed militia and a lot of people are like if he comes here you know we're gonna fuck him up drama uh, and Arthur Desmond is the only white voter in the area the only white dude because like obviously like nobody else is fucking voting I don't think right. um, he's like the only voter in the district with any sympathy for Tekuti or the Maori in general and when the town held a meeting about whether to whether to let Tekuti show up Desmond was the only person who spoke in his defense okay. uh, I'm gonna quote now from Tokver which is a website about radical Australian politics that's very sympathetic to Desmond Quote, okay, cool. 500 people packed into a schoolroom at Makarata, and there was talk of bloodshed and massacres. They decided to arm themselves and stop Tekuti. Desmond spoke on behalf of Tekuti. He told the meeting that he was acquainted with many of Tekuti's followers, and that Tekuti meant them no harm. All he wished was to visit the place of his birth. The meeting ended in an uproar, and he was thrown out. So, at this point, pretty cool dude, standing up for a native guy. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. That sounds like yeah. he's, he's using his privilege responsibly. And you know how our listeners can use their privilege responsibly, oh, Jamie? Oh, here it fucking comes. Yeah, this is an ad pivot. What? You no, know, no, roll with it. I'm sorry. Don't let me interrupt you. <laughs> well, if you have privilege, why not spend it on the fine products and services that support this program? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, exactly. You're yeah. Right. The best way to flex your privilege is to participate in capitalism. I think that we yes. can all agree on that. I think every radical philosopher can agree with that very simple point. Yes. Yes. Arthur Desmond certainly would. Listen, I pay $3 for a very salty bagel every day. We all And $4 for fucking uh twist top bottles of wine. There <laughs> It was well it was 350 yesterday. Jesus Christ. Therefore, therefore, I must buy them. That's 75 cents per tiny bottle of wine. You're basically spending money to not buy wine at those prices. You really and they and they are just juice. I don't even think they're alcoholic mm-hmm. beverages. It was just like I drank four Kool-Aid pouches and fell asleep, which also sounds well, nice. If you want to spend your money sensibly like Jamie did, <laughs> buy these products. Products. <laughs> The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time, and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. 
Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So, uh, where we left off, uh, Arthur Desmond has just gotten kicked out of a first meeting where he's argued on behalf of this uh, this this former guerrilla leader, current religious leader, Tekuti. He's still semi-cool. Uh, now, right he's now. still pretty pretty cool at this yeah. point. Um, now, the colonists mostly hated Tekuti because you know he'd been a violent insurgent at one point, and of course they were racist. But they primarily were scared because they thought he was going to disrupt the upcoming sale of a bunch of Maori land to white people. Hmm. Um, so their their big worry is that like he's going to organize the local Maoris to stop this transaction. Okay. So I'm going to quote from Tackfer again. A few days later, on the 21st of February, another large meeting took place. This time in Gisborne, 800 people attended and passed a resolution to stop. Tekuti Tekuti by any means necessary. Again, Desmond spoke in favor of Tekuti's visit. He told the assembly that he had a message from the Maori leaders at Tekaraka and informed them that they had no right to interfere in what was to be a peaceful visit. Again, the settlers wouldn't listen and a fight broke out. Desmond, slightly outnumbered, had to be escorted from the meeting by the police. He was described as the Pakiha emissary from the Hauhaus, which is like Pakiha is like a word for white guy, the Hauhaus or, or Tekuti's you know, church in the New Zealand Herald, and according to the paper, was lucky to get out of the meeting alive. By this stage, Poverty Bay was in a panic. The government stepped in and arrested Tekuti and his 70 followers, many of them women and children, at Weotahi. Tekuti was charged with unlawful assembly and dispatched to the Mount Eden jail. So that's cool. All right. Yeah, yeah. this is, it's taking him a suspiciously long time to become someone who's unsympathetic. That's part of what's interesting about this guy to me is his journey. I think I kind of get why he turned into an asshole, um, but that's the story we're building to. Okay. So I, I think one of the problems when you have a guy who ends up where, where Arthur Desmond ends up, which is basically a Nazi, yeah. um, is it's easy to like work backwards and, and sort of attribute like the worst attributes that he wound up believing to like his prior actions. Got it. So, Guys like Mark Derby, who is Desmond's biographer and probably knows more about the guy than I do, suspects mm-hmm. that he mainly supported Tekuti because he admired the Maori leader's like violent past and his ruthlessness. Right. Um, okay. 
I don't know how much I agree with that. And again, Derby has done more research than I have, but I did read a lot of Desmond's writings on Tecuti, mm-hmm. Um and I can't help but feel that there was more going on than just his appreciation of the former insurgents' like ability to do violence. Like that's certainly a part of it. He does respect strength and like this guy's the fact that like unlike the working classes of his time, this guy like stood up with a rifle and like, you know, right acted out what he believed in. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I think there was more going on here. He wrote a poem about Tecuti, which was the first of many poems from Arthur Desmond, because mm-hmm. he was actually, a, in my opinion, a pretty good poet. And I'm going to read an excerpt from that poem, it's The not Song like a of Tecuti. poem? No, it's actually pretty good. It's kind of like Kipling in style, but, um, at least from an early age, less racist. And then it gets way more racist than Kipling. So, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. They tried to enslave us, to trample us down, like the millions that serve them in field and town. But the sapling that's bended when freed will rebound. Exult for Tecuti, yo-ho. He plundered their rum stores, he ate up their priests, he robbed the rich squatters to furnish him feasts. What fare half so fine as their clover-fed beasts? Exult for Tecuti, yo-ho. Yes. In the wild midnight foray, whose footsteps trod lighter, in the flash of the rifle, whose eyeballs gleamed brighter, what man with our hero could clinch as a fighter? Exult for Tecuti, yo-ho. They say it was murder, but what then is war when they slaughtered our kin in the flames of the paw? Oh, darker their deeds and more merciless by far. Exult for Tecuti, yo-ho. So he's like, he, he uses a lot of yo-hos there. yo-ho a lot? I, I did. This is the most yo-hoing I have so ever wait, done in this. So yeah. wait, you're like, that poem is awesome. Yeah, so you can see, you can see, you can see his appreciation for the guy's violence, but you can also see that it comes from like his recognition that these people have been oppressed by colonial power. And he's like, look, you can call this guy brutal, but like the whole colonial system is a thousand times more brutal than whatever violence this insurgent dealt. And that's the real crime. See, what I was Um, seeing was an A-A-A-B rhyming pattern and the B is always yo-ho. Hey, hey, look, (laughs) it's his first poem, okay? (laughs) Oh, that was a fun fourth grade assignment. I am am going to read a lot more poems before this episode is out, Jamie Love. There are, are, this is the most poems we're going to have in an episode. Does he ever go slam? Does he ever go off the rhyme scheme? I think in a modern era, this guy would be a white rapper. He would um, be, and, oh, oh, and, okay. and would probably take like a violent right wing turn. He'd be like one of those flat Earth rappers who like rants yeah. about like Talmudic Jews. <laughs> like, yeah, was, they're like, I'm going on a tour across the flat Earth. <laughs> like, yeah, look out for your boy may fall off the edge. Yeah, yeah, that he would be that guy a thousand percent. Amazing. Okay, so. Uh, after the end of his political career, Arthur Desmond moved to Auckland. He got a job as what's called a gum digger, which I did not look up because I I just want to imagine that as like literally harvesting like chewing gum from the uh, the world. I know it's got to do with trees. I understand what it really is, but I'm going to pretend that it's he's, he's digging up like like bubble yum. Um, yeah. <laughs> he became a yeah. <laughs> he became a member of the Timber Workers Union, which was a fairly new thing at that point. Unions were just starting to take off all over the world in the late 1800s, and this was mm-hmm. part of a global socialist trend. Workers of the world uniting in order to strike and bargain together for a larger share of the wealth they created for their capitalist masters. Hmm. Things started to look up for Desmond. He was appointed to represent the Timber Union at the Auckland Trades Council, and finally, he saw his fellow laboring people realize how badly their bosses and landlords were fucking them over. His firebrand instincts and poet's heart
art made him an inspiring voice for labor. During a maritime strike, he started publishing a newspaper, Tribune. It took off among laborers and helped make Desmond a major leader inside the strike. So he was just like... He's just like marching around New Zealand being like, yo-ho, y'all, we got to... <laughs> There's probably <laughs> a lot of yo-hos. Your, your landlord's an asshole, yo-ho. Look, you couldn't get out of bed in the 1890s without a yo-ho or three. Like, let's be <laughs> fair here. Yeah, it's true. All right, so this is cool. Yeah, yeah. In one issue of Tribune, he wrote, quote, How can we expect just legislation and equal laws when those who control private plundering concerns are our legislators? Hmm. Which is a fair, fair question. Yeah. yeah. For the first time in his life, things seemed to be going very well for Arthur Desmond. Thanks to the Tribune, he was finally making a living as a writer, his dearest ambition, and he had a prominent role stirring up the working class against the capitalist pig dogs, his other dearest ambition. For a brief, shining moment, he tasted the sweet liquor of success. Those of us lucky enough to have drank it know it tastes exactly like Shasta Cola. Arthur Desmond's <laughs> major target... What? That, that does. It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I was, I was just appreciating that turn mm-hmm. of phrase. Thank you. Arthur Desmond's major target during this period was the Bank of New Zealand, which he saw as the oppressive heart of the capitalist regime. And it sort of was, definitely was, absolutely it was. Uh, The Bank of New Zealand was incredibly corrupt and existed primarily to make the rich richer, something that has been true of no other bank in history. Mm. On a regular basis, Desmond excoriated them from his secret office, hidden inside the headquarters of the Auckland Employers Association. So he he sets up an office in this big building and starts printing like this, like far left anti-capitalist magazine without anyone there like knowing it and without paying rent or anything like that <laughs> and he, he gets away with it for about three weeks uh all right. and then, yeah, yeah that's about all you could do that for. A very stressful three weeks <laughs> yeah there's this weird unshowered guy printing off pages of of uh <laughs> newsletters should we do something about someone that someone comes up to him and is like hey you get out of here and he's a giant redheaded man. Like he's he's not he's hard to miss. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. He, so he's a giant like redheaded guy from New Zealand who will eventually take on the rap name Ragnar Redbeard. I would he if sure you told is. me Ragnar Redbeard was a current like white SoundCloud rapper, I wouldn't blink. I would I suspect there are some. There's definitely like metal artists who use that name and variations of it. Yeah, it does sound like And there's like, like a... metal albums titled Might is Right. He's inspired a lot of Nazi metal. Good. Well, yes. <laughs> So, unfortunately, yeah, after about three weeks, the people who ran the association realized what was going on. They told Desmond to clear his shit out, and as revenge, Arthur Desmond forged a confidential letter from a cabinet minister to the association, basically accusing them of kicking him out on the orders of a crooked politician. Mm. He used this falsified information to accuse the association of conspiracy. Now, this did not sit well with the cabinet minister that Desmond had implicated in a fake crime. He sued Desmond for criminal libel, which Arthur Desmond was absolutely guilty of committing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he kind of oversteps here uh, and things get worse. I'm going to quote next from Tierra, an online New Zealand focused encyclopedia. Quote, his opponents retaliated with accusations that his article, Christ is a Social Reformer, first published in the literary magazine Zealandia in June 1890 and reprinted as a pamphlet with an introduction by George Gray, had been plagiarized from an American magazine. Desmond claimed that the American article had been stolen from his own and dismissed the accusation as an electioneering dodge. His attackers included the leaders of the single tax movement in Auckland, with whom he had also fallen out. Desmond next appeared in Wellington, where in early 1891 he endeavored to interest the Wellington Trades and Labor Council in supporting a new labor paper 
father. He lectured on the Wellington waterfront on Sunday afternoons. A young man, Irish, eloquent, poetic, hard up, red-haired, and red-bearded is how he was described. Okay. So he gets he gets canceled for plagiarizing, and he has to move to Wellington. <sighs> That's uh, rough. I like th- I like this whole like old timey narrative of when you get canceled, you move. You just go <laughs> you just to another have city, to go somewhere else, and wait to get canceled there. Yeah, there was a time in which going from L.A. to San Diego was like landing on the fucking moon. Right, like, right. <laughs> yeah. You just have a new name. They're like, oh, yeah. It's, uh, by the way, I did look up uh, Ragnar Redbeard SoundCloud, and there is a result of an Austrian man. He hasn't uploaded for six years, but he has, oh, nine, he has nine followers, and uh, his, some of his songs are called Love Isn't Everything, Tuesday uh-huh. Again, Destroy huh. With Love. Heart None of, of this sun? sounds like at our Ragnar Redbeard. No, I mean, but it does. No. But all of all of his uh, album art is pictures of his abs, but not his head. I mean, are are his abs fire, Jamie? His yeah, they're good. They're good. He's wearing a leather jacket, and then it's just his abs. Yeah. Well, uh, okay. So that's just I'm a quick board. plug. Yeah, listen to this defunct SoundCloud rapper. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or at least look at his sweet, sweet look at his abs. Sweet washboard abs. Mm-hmm. Hey. Good for what, him. What, what, good for him. It's weird that we call them washboard abs because I feel like the period of time in which people figured out how to have really nice abs was not the period of time in which anyone used washboards to wash clothing. And I also don't think a lot of people can like call to mind the image of a washboard no. very quickly. <laughs> no. It's one of those things I just learned recently that uppercase and lowercase letters referred to like back when people used printing presses, you kept all the capital letters in one case, like a literal case and the, oh, the lowercase le- like there was an upper and a lower case in the box where you kept the letters. This is not the right place to say this, names. but history is so stupid. It's, it's really so, dumb. It's so dumb. Wow. Well, we've got, yeah, we've got stuff like that. Like, there's the fucking icon of a floppy disk in the top left-hand corner <laughs> yeah, of, like, a Word document true. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I guess washboard abs is like that. Washboard anyway, abs, yeah. Uh, Arthur Desmond probably had washboard abs at this point because he rarely got enough money to eat properly. Uh, Sick. Because yeah, he dude, was a you, poor, yeah. In, intermittent yeah. fasting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is what happens when you get canceled for plagiarism and wind up working on the docks. You fast a lot. And get really sexy. Oh, I'm sure he was hot as fuck at this point. Cool. So, Desmond did not stay in Wellington long. Rather than battle the lawsuits over defamation and plagiarism, Arthur took the route of all great conmen and fled his home country for a less law-bound land. In his case, it was Australia. And in Desmond's defense, all Australians are criminals, so it's a solid place to run after being caught committing numerous crimes. Wow, he went there. He did, he did, and I will go there. I, I am firm about Australians being criminals. Don't okay. let them behind you if you keep your wallet in your back pocket. <laughs> now, Desmond landed in Sydney and immediately got back to the thing he did best, rabble-rousing. Mm. Arthur befriended the leading men in Australia's labor movement, including two guys who would go on to become Australian prime ministers. He started writing articles and poems again, and by 1889 was known as the Poet of Revolution. In my opinion, he was eh, pretty good. Uh, I'm going to read one piece he published in Reynolds' newspaper. I think he gets better at this point, so we'll see how you think, Jamie. We'll see, we'll see. I kind of like some of them, yeah. You're like, yo-ho, bitch, it's good. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. So here's a poem he wrote, yeah. Uh, (laughs) 
I don't need I don't need your shit, Sophie. I'm gonna read a poem. I'm gonna read a goddamn poem. Go read a poem. Express yourself. As you were, my son. Some slay with sword and uh, some. <laughs> so, what? Come on. Some slay with sword and some with words. Some have no battle plan. Some stab with venom's subtle word. Each does the best he can. And each man gets what he can win. Great wealth, great love, or fame. The conqueror gets his just reward. The conquered gets his shame. And weak ones wear a crown of thorns or bleat in living hell. The strong man crowns himself with gold and all the world as well. And each man gains what others lose. No use to reason why. Each plants his heel on fallen foes by love or law or lie. This is a little poem. Kind of dark. That's really good. It's interesting to me. You can see where his. You can see his 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 ideology has started to move on from like uh, this sort of like habitual um, support of the working class and like anti elite to like this um, the strong get what they can take and that's sort of normal. Like he's starting to like he's he's gotten jaded at this point. Um, so he's in his like moody poetry period. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 gotten he's he's turning emo a little bit. The yohos are gone. He's on the, the ABCD wave now. And yeah. okay, okay. He does change up his rhyme scheme. He yeah. does. Yeah. He he took poetry two, and he's like, oh. Yeah. Uh, there's the, he's taking poetry three in a minute here. It's uncool to rhyme yo ho with yo ho. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> This podcast is pro-rhyming yo-ho with yo-ho. <laughs> That's fair. Now, Desmond starts another newspaper at this point named Hard Cash. Uh, Tackford describes it as a journal of finance and politics published in Sydney. Desmond was clever as an accountant, and his articles on how money rules the world were well-watched by businessmen. Now, Desmond's, like, Hard Cash was filled with, like, tips about which banks were going to go up and, like, where you should pull your money out of and which companies were going to take downturns. And he developed a reputation of being incredibly accurate. So he starts making a lot of money off of this because both, like, working-class people will buy it to know, like, how to protect their money or what banks to pull it out of, Mm -hmm. but also, like the capitalist class starts buying it because he's just he's always he's pretty much always right about these things and the police wind up on his tail because they're like number one how the fuck does this guy know all this stuff and number two he's like causing runs on banks by telling people to pull their money out of banks and stuff um and he's also kind of making himself very comfortable by selling this this journal so he's gone from like a uh, labor organizer fighting for the rights of the indigenous people to like advising people on how to make a killing in the stock market essentially like that would be the modern um comparison huh. okay but he's he seems to be doing it with an eye towards fucking up the economy um so he's he's still kind of an anti-capitalist guy but he's also profiting heavily off of his anti-capitalism right that, that's kind of how i translate it yeah Okay. Okay. So we're not. I, I'm not. I'm not totally lost yet. Okay. Not totally lost yet. But you're and like also, he pr- trouble on the horizon. Trouble on the horizon. He's getting more more cynical and uh, uh, kind of um, profiteering uh, off of his off of his activism. Yeah. Which you know you could look at it. He always was sort of doing that. Um, it's a little hard to tell because we don't have huge amounts of information about his earlier life. It honestly sounds like he just wants to be a poet, but is like, oh, I guess I have to do this other stuff to, you know, like keep my poetry career moving. 
Yeah, yeah. He's he's got to he's he's got to start uh, the Wall Street Journal in order to get his poems published. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of what's going on here. Okay. Now, as an illegal magazine, Hard Cash was printed on a secret printing press hidden inside a cave at a place called West's Bush in Paddington, because Australia is a ridiculous place. Uh, the Australian Justice Department tried to shut it down. They weren't able to track down Arthur Desmond because at this point, he was pretty good at avoiding the law. Mm. However, they succeeded in arresting several other organizers who wrote for hard cash. And uh, these people, like, stuck with Desmond. They wouldn't give him up to the police. But Desmond kind of abandons them immediately. Um, like, oh, cool. he, he's, like, he's just, he's just fucking in the wind. So his conspirators get six-month sentences and get charged with libeling the prime minister, and Desmond flees from the law and keeps writing revolutionary articles. Right. Um, in the early 1890s, he joined up with the Active Service Brigade, which was, and it, by some accounts, he actually created the Active Service Brigade. And this is an anarchist political action group. Um, now, I've read two different sort of descriptions of what this was. The uh, the pro-radical politics description is that, like, conservative politicians were uh, infiltrating labor groups and left-wing groups with, like, hidden... Um, you know, paid informants and stuff, and the the okay. active service brigade would go in there and like beat the shit out of those people and protect labor organizing meetings to ensure free speech. Okay. And the other description of what happened is that he started a group of people who would beat the fuck out of anyone they disagreed with who tried to run for political office and like break up conservative political rallies. I have no idea huh. which is the actual case. Okay. Um. Probably a lot of both, to be honest. Yeah, it doesn't Pro- sound like either like scenario is entirely likely. A little bit of a he said, she said nature to that. Yeah, I'm going to guess the conservatives are like fucking around and trying to infiltrate left-wing political groups and the active service brigade ferrets those guys out. And I'm also going to guess they beat the shit out of a lot of people who just disagree with them because Arthur Desmond's kind of a dick. Yeah, um, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. I mean, he only yeah. becomes a famous Nazi. Yeah, he does become a famous Nazi. I can't say which version of events is true, but probably both, right? Right. That's usually the case with situations like this. Yeah. Um, Now, on paper, the ideals of the active service uh, brigade were high. They claimed to stand for free speech and attempted to, quote, change the present competitive system into a cooperative social system. Those lofty goals stood in contrast to the deep economic depression that was then sweeping through Australia. Banks were collapsing, in part due to the work that Arthur Desmond had carried out as the editor of Hard Cash. Swish. And, yeah, Desmond finally was arrested, you know, in the early 1890s, not for running an illegal newsletter, but for writing going bunk in chalk on the wall of a bank. Um, which seems to have been like part of an, yeah, he was like writing that a bank was about to run out of money basically. So he's trying to create a run on the bank by, by putting this graffiti up. Um, and he gets busted (laughs) for that. He got busted for a Banksy crime. Yeah, he did. He did. I mean, like, it's definitely more radical than Banksy. He was actually trying to destroy a bank by doing this. Yeah. Like, this is the 1890s. Everything was easier. No, that's hardcore. I mean, I'm, I'm back. Yeah. 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 Like if you. It, it is an easier era when you could like fuck a bank up by writing it's out of money on the side and chalk They're and like, people no, just the be people like can oh no now. <laughs> the people just learned to read they won't believe yeah. it oh wow okay so he did he yeah. did a little bit of graffiti he did a little bit of graffiti yeah nice yeah now the government obviously hated desmond's anarchist group as all the governments hate all anarchists doing anything uh mm. desmond was repeatedly accused of sundry dynamite plots and it's anyone's <laughs> advice as to whether or not he actually tried to blow anything up with dynamite 
To be honest, probably. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he sounds yeah. like that guy. That he would does have sound a like that guy. Dynamite yeah. plan. And and there was a lot of anar all over the world at this point, late eighteen nineties, early nineteen hundreds. There's a lot of anarchists blowing a lot of things up with a lot of dynamite. Sick. Like when dynamite first gets made, they didn't think that like there's this interesting period in history when like they know how to make really effective explosives that anyone can use, but there also aren't laws against anything. Hmm. So it's like dynamite gets made and they're like, Well, I guess we should just sell this to everybody. <laughs> and it leads to some problems. <laughs> Oh, just a little. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Okay. So yeah. now he's a dive. I believe 100% that he's a dynamite guy. There's a really good chance he's a dynamite guy. For, for sure. sure. Yeah. For sure. I have no trouble believing that. No. Now, throughout all this, Desmond continued to fight to convince the laboring class to rebel against their capitalist masters. In 1893, he wrote another poem titled Labor Song for the hilariously named Wagga Worker, which I assume makes more w- sense if you understand Australia. <laughs> Wagga yeah. Worker? Okay. The Wagga Worker. It's cute, right? It's, uh, uh, he- it's, like, a baby ma- it's, like, a, it's like a baby trying to say MAGA. He's yeah. a worker. This is definitely the opposite of MAGA, though. Well, that's well, Robert, turn the yeah. M upside down. What do you have? Wow. Exactly. Obvious. You can tell where he's headed. Wait, are we going to read another poem? Oh, you bet your ass we're going to read another <laughs> poem, Jamie <laughs> okay, Loftus. So this was published along with a short one-sentence editorial that just said, if you vote for the government, you vote for your own coffin political. So Whoa. now here no. I'm going to read Labor Song. Above the Senate's brawl, the maddening roar for gain. Do you hear the Christmas carol, the felons clanking chains? Beyond yon prison walls, your leg-ironed comrades slaves, while here in marble walls are harlots, knights, and knaves. Your comrades rot in jail, the hungry cry for bread. Your wives are thin and pale, their hearts are filled with dread. And earth resounds with praise in holy, heavenly tones, while tigers prowl the land to crush your children's bones. Ho, men of New South Wales, hark, hear the fetters clink. Are you but eunuch churls that only scream and Link. If you were virile men, you'd raise your strong right arm, beard tigers in their den to guard your mates from harm. You live the life of dogs, you tug and scat and strain, you back the slaver flogs while raking in his gain. You see your sisters starve, you see them on the marts, you hear the tigers snarl while rending out their hearts. O men of New South Wales, behold your ruffian horde, who spurn you with their hoof and bash you with the sword. Behold the butcher band that shear and tan your hide. Have you not grit to stand and tame their wolfish pride? You rise to voice your wrongs. They club you for your pains. Wheel out their murderous guns to scatter, splash your brains. They steal your public lands. They steal the cash you earn. Ho, cringe to their commands. You're only dogs, not men. In glattering halls they feast, harlots, knights, and knaves, while inside prison walls your leg-ironed comrade slaves. Ho, men of New South Wales. Hark, hear the fetters clink. Are ye but eunuch slaves that only scream and slink? I liked yeah. that one. That was a better poem, right? He's gotten Fuck. good. I was yeah. I was trying to, but no, that one slaps. That's a good one. All right. That's a good poem. That's and you can good. see where he's, he's like, he's still a labor guy. He's still on the side of like the working man, but he's yeah. like pissed off. He's like, why won't people fucking rebel? Like this shit's been fucked up for so long. He just keeps calling I feel people like, yeah. dickless. He's just like, you, yeah. fu- you fucking eunuchs. If you were you dickless viral, laborers. Yeah. Yeah. He's just you had everyone. some fucking di- He's definitely like a misogynist at this point but it's oh, the fucking 1880s I mean, what, year what do you is want it? what year yeah, is it it's the everyone's... 1880s right okay yeah. so everyone's a misogynist and that's normal and good and we love that 
it's not but, normal. Like in, in fairness, like people like Emma Goldman, like there's a lot of anarchists who are actually like kind of radical about gender equality at this point. But Arthur Desmond is not one of them. But he's not. <laughs> I I genuinely uh, yeah. did. I I liked that one. Yeah, it was a good poem, that right? Was, I yeah. liked the part where I was like, I don't know, I don't know. And then it said, crush a child's bones. And I was like, yeah. all right, I like it. Fuck yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it, you can, you can, there's something like that's kind of understandable there if you like, are, like most of us, I think, have like looked out at the world recently and been like, why the fuck are we letting this shit happen? Like that's, that that's an understandable impulse to be like frustrated by that after so many years. Yeah. No, um, I like you, it. Yeah. You know what I like, Jamie? What? Tell me, tell me. I know what products the and is. services. Yeah. You know what? You know what won't crush your children's bones? <laughs> the or advertisers. The, well, <laughs> or depending on what you're in the market for. Yeah, they might crush your bones. They might crush your bones. You got to be careful. The dick, the dick pills will give you a bone to crush. Well, um, there, that could just be a service too. <laughs> Crushing your child's yeah. bones. Oh, I wish we advertised for dominatrixes, but not the ones that crush children's bones, just adult bones. I was thinking oh recently, I wish that a taxidermist would sign on with our show. I, I think. Oh, wouldn't that be cool? It would be really nice if there was like a punk rock uh, taxidermist that was willing to, yeah, put in Bechdel cast and, and 15% off your taxidermied cocker spaniel. I, I'm interested in like the the ads you'd read for that. Do you have too many animal corpses in your freezer? <laughs> <laughs> that honestly, I wanted to get my hamster taxidermied, and then I forgot that she was in my freezer, and then I just kind of flung her out the window. <laughs> solid, <sighs> really solid. I dug a small hole, but I, I didn't put in the effort I was planning. Yeah. We all dig a lot of small holes in our lives, which is why we all need the products and services that support this show. Gorgeous pivot. Thank you. Products! The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Bean Dad, The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time, and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure... It kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. Yes. So, so uh, by this point in time, Arthur Desmond has written his first poem that appeals to Jamie Loftus. So yes. I'm, I'm glad we finally got there. I finally uh, stan. Mm-hmm. You finally stan Arthur Desmond. Um, so as you can see by that poem, he was pretty well on his way to being very disenchanted with left-wing politics. You can hear the frustration and rage at the broader masses of the working class and their mm-hmm. failure to rise up in revolution. The Labour government in Australia's mild reforms had taken much of the wind out of the left sails. And after 1893, Desmond's writings grew more defamatory towards elected leaders and markedly more anti-Semitic. His authoritarian tendencies also grew more and more pronounced. And it's here that we're going to get into some real fun left-wing political theory discussion. Do you love political theory, Jamie? Ooh, ooh, love it. Yeah. Now, Desmond was definitely like in the anarchist sort of strain of thought by this point in time, but obviously that body of political theory is is pretty wide. There's a lot of different types of anarchists. And the particular variety Desmond seemed to be most uh, sympathetic to is called egoism. Now, the Mm -hmm. simple, partly accurate summary of egoism is the idea that self-interest should be the foundation of morality. And and, and Mm. like the more positive way to translate that is that like systems that force people to act against their own self-interest, like capitalism forcing a laborer to work in a deadly mine in order to make ends meet, like that's fundamentally unethical because it forces people to act against their self-interest. There's got to be a better Um, name for it. (laughs) Than egoism, it needs work. Yeah, it needs work. You've got some notes 
on this fringe political theory. Yeah. Now, lefty politics is a complex galaxy of frustratingly different belief systems, most of which yes. sound like nonsense to anyone who hasn't read a bunch of books by dead men. My <laughs> definition of egoism isn't even super accurate to the egoism practiced by most egoists today, because there's roughly as many different branches of that theory as there are egoists, which is to say, about 50. Is there like um, egoist Twitter? Yeah, there sure is. Oh, uh, the, the yeah, they they fucking love. There's this guy Max Stirner who's like probably the most well-known egoist philosopher. People on there's a big chunk of people on Twitter who fucking love his shit. Okay. Um, which I don't understand and will not attempt to analyze, but he was a big influence on Arthur Desmond. Okay. Stirner wrote a book called The Ego and His Own. Uh and I yeah, again, I don't really understand Stirner's writings. They seem kind of like uh, uh I don't know, I, like nonsense to me. Um but I did find a summary of it by a group of hardcore libertarians with the American Institute for Economic Research. Scary. Max Stirner's individualist anarchism is a way to overcome the horrors of the modern state. He envisions a union of rational egoists in a society that does not need a ruler. The community of rational egoists is a universal commercial society. In fact, the more a society is based on voluntary exchange, the less right it is, and thus less effective the force. Individualist anarchism carries its purpose in itself and does not serve a higher end. The rational egoist will respect the rights of others because he respects himself. He will not be violent because he does not want to be attacked. This attitude of the individual anarchist stands in in sharp contrast to the destructive role of the collectivist entities. Individual egoism is the answer to the egoism of the collectives. Stirner wrote, My cause is neither the divine nor the human. It is not the true, the good, the right, the free, etc., but only mine, and it is not universal, but it is unique, like me, as I am only I. Nothing goes beyond Jeez. me and myself. I know, right? I don't like him. <laughs> no, I don't like him either. I don't um, like him. He doesn't seem like he would be... I don't agree with him, and I don't think he'd be fun to be around. Well, and it's the way that Stirner writes is kind of so broad that there's there's like yeah. a right wing and a left wing interpretation of the same book that come to really different conclusions because there's sure. a lot of Sternerist egoists who are not at all the pro capitalism interpretation and who take a totally different message from it. Again, I've tried to read the book and I just decided to go read about the Syrian civil war more because that's more uplifting. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's frustrating to me. I don't like political theory. Yeah. Um, I kind of doubt that Desmond subscribed to the libertarian interpretation of Stirner's ideas because of his hatred of capitalism. Right. Um, and also he was not at all an advocate of nonviolence. And in fact, in the early 1890s, he increasingly became an advocate for extreme violence. He started to write lovingly of man as the fighting, roving, pillaging, Lusting cannibalistic animal par excellence. So Ugh. he definitely is takes a lot of these egoist ideas in, but he is not the pacifist kind. He's not the oh, if I don't hurt anyone, they won't hurt me. He's the kill and rape and Conan the Barbarian kind of fucking egoist. So that's 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 where this guy starts turning as his frustration against the failure of the labor movement to rise up like builds. Right. Okay. Yeah. During his last months in Australia, Arthur Desmond started to publish a 25-page tract, The Survival of the Fittest, which outlines some of his new ideas. In it, he wrote about man's desire to destroy as the thing that makes him the absolute monarch of the world. Mm. Now, Desmond was not the progressive sort of lefty either. He viewed women as frail beings at the best of times and wrote, For the welfare of the breeds and the security of descent, they must be held through subjection. He promised disaster would follow if, quote, ever these lovable creatures should break loose from mastership and become the rulers or equals of man. Was he single? For most of his life, yeah. 
Wow. He did marry a girl that was like 20-something years younger than him when he was an old man, and then she left very quickly after that. <laughs> Jesus. And well, she died in a sanitarium. He um, does sound absolutely unlovable. I will say that. Yeah. He yeah. sounds hard to get along with. Yeah. You get that feeling from the guy. Yeah. Okay. So he's single, and he doesn't like it. <laughs> he's single, and he does not... Yeah, there's actually a lot of incel stuff there, coming. Uh, yeah, uh, it was like, yeah, you can just feel yeah. like, uh, she's frail, and I actually don't even fucking care, but I'm just you saying really, it because it needs to be said. One of the things that's interesting about Might is Right, which we're going to cover the book in a lot of detail in part two, mm-hmm. he kind of predicted 30% of the internet... Um Ugh. and not the good thirty percent. You yeah, know what thirty like, percent? That's he impressive, predicted. but not yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, he's he's ahead of his time, but not in a positive sense of that phrase. Mm. Like okay. he's ahead he's ahead of his time in the same way that like the guys in the eighteen nineties who imagined like the mass bombing campaigns that would be the future of warfare were ahead of their time. Yeah. Like they were right, but not in a good way. But not in inc- <laughs> like, and also it's like and also I mean, good for you for predicting something terrible that people were powerless to Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Desmond credit. had a other influences besides Sterner. Uh, and again, I don't mm-hmm. want to like, I don't want to like leave people with the impression that Max Sterner would have necessarily supported Desmond's conclusions about like women and all of this stuff. Like, sure. this is just like, yeah, yeah I'm not, I, I don't know enough about Sterner to say that. But that is on... what Desmond takes out of the writing. Yeah, Desmond, yeah. Desmond's opinions on women seem more like a him thing. Yeah, he, that was mm-hmm. going on way before he started identifying as an egoist too. <laughs> Ex- he was always, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, you know, male poets who feel that way. No, yeah. misogynist male poets. You you would be shocked. Not I. I'm not even thinking of anyone. Oh, I am thinking of someone. Okay, never mind. Go ahead. I'm gonna keep standing my woke king, Reard Kipling, who uh, <laughs> I think is fair to describe as the least racist man in history. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Let's not let's not fact check that at all. Yeah, let's not fact check that in any way, shape, or form. No, let's now Desmond had. <laughs> Desmond had other influences besides Sterner. Charles Darwin's writings on natural selection impressed upon him an almost religious belief in the importance of survival of the fittest, Mm. which is never a good set of thoughts to head too far down. (laughs) He also devoured Nietzsche, particularly the anti-Semitic bits of Nietzsche's theory. Mm. All this, combined with his increasingly rabid disdain for the placid working class, turned Desmond from a labor organizer into a man who believed, quote, it is natural for men of power to rule feeble men. Okay. In, yeah. In 1894, the police finally got close enough to catching Arthur that he was forced to flee to Britain. We don't know precisely what he did during this period. There are stories that he traveled to Manchuria and South Africa, getting up to God knows what. By the time he landed in North America in 1895, he had made the full transition from Union Man to leftist revolutionary to nihilistic egoist. He settled in Chicago and almost immediately published a book, The Survival of the Fittest, in 1896. We actually have one of the newspaper ads for this tome and boy is it something oh, so boy. this is actually a, for a later version of the book when he changed the title to might is right but it's still a good note to end on so i'm going to read i want i want sophie to show you that ad and i'm going to read it out okay. so it says in big capital letters might is right ah! the only book of its kind ever printed if you don't like <laughs> this book don't keep it send it back at once and i will refund your money and pay postage both ways 
Might is Right or Survival of the Fittest by Ragnar Redbeard. This is an historical and scientific revindication of the grand old Anglo-Saxon war philosophy. They can take who have the power and they can keep who can. In rugged boldness of style and volcanic energy of thought, this epic marking volume is without doubt the most remarkable pronouncement that has appeared in Christendom for 15 centuries. Ragnar Redbeard, taking up the thread of Darwinism where Spencer in fear and trembling laid it down, points out that the higher type of organism is the warrior and that battle is the process ordained by nature for dividing the born subordinates and cowards from born nobles and proprietors. Then war for life and land and love, for women, power, and gold. This earth and all its treasures vast is booty for the bold. Booty for the bold? Booty for the bold, Booty for the bold, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then I like and the, there's I a like picture the cartoon, of a cowboy. Yeah, the cartoon <laughs> of the cowboy on his horse. I'm like, this is just a throbbing penis of an advertisement. It's like, yeah. hey! <laughs> this is just, he could have just published a picture of his dick in the paper and it would have worked out the same Booty way. Booty for the bold. <laughs> like, Booty for the bold! Like, in the opening of the ad, he also gets defensive for no reason. He's like, yeah, yeah. this book fucking rules. If you don't like it, you can return Do- it. <laughs> like, what is it return about? return it, bitch. Like, I don't know if I'll like it. He's like, no. It's like he's anticipating rejection. How could you not like it? Look at the fucking cowboy. And he's like, and I would be fucking remiss if I didn't include a little bit of a poem. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And you can see the cowboy drawing clearly has a big beard. Yeah, I think I think that's him as a cowboy. Branding. Yeah. God. So... What a you like you love it. What you is, love it, Jamie. I want. Oh, you're gonna be you're gonna, gonna be so frustrated dork. next episode. We're gonna read a lot from Might is Right next episode, Why'd and you, you are going to be dork? beside yourself. Can't believe who could it. I? This is like the this is like the fucking founding father of incels and <laughs> like the fucking worst parts of the alt right. Like, how could I not read this to you, Jamie? It's true. It's it, it does upset me the most. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know, can s- he had a good yeah. run there for a little while, but now he had a good run there for a little while, and then he became the patron saint of men who have a pile of cum socks beside their bed next Ugh. to their rifle, just yeah. like yeah, just like a gun next to a petrified sock, <laughs> just one that <laughs> doesn't that. flop if you pick it up. The sock is the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is it's one of those anime pillows. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, if he'd been born in modern times, Desmond would have definitely fucked a pillow with a he, Japanese waifu girl on it. He yeah. would have, yeah, he would have gotten one of the pillows with the holes in it. He would have had one oh, of the, yeah. yeah. Well, you know. Arthur Desmond confirmed for pillow fucking. Yeah, and I'm not saying pillow fucking's a bad thing. I'm just saying he fits the bill. He fits the bill. Mm-hmm. Now, Jamie, yes. in our next episode, we're going to go into detail about what exactly Arthur laid out in his manifesto, how it was received, and how it continues to influence people today. But that's all going to come on Thursday. For now, Jamie Loftus, it's yeah. time for you to deliver your manifesto in the form of wow. plugging your pluggables. Okay, pluggables. I wanted to plug uh, Ragnar Redbeard's uh, SoundCloud, of course. <laughs> Everyone, I haven't listened to it yet, but I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Please uh, hit my mentions. I will forget that I said this, and I will be confused. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Jamie Loftus Help, and uh, you can listen to me on the Bechdel cast every. Th- Thursday at oh wait isn't that it's every Thursday period yeah that yeah that's period. A, that's and if you're in New York or LA I'm doing uh my my one person show that is basically Elizabeth Holmes uh in October so you can you can come 
Elizabeth Holmes would have really appreciated the wisdom in Midas, right? She <laughs> she seems about just delusional enough to be yeah. into it. Oh, brother. You cannot find me on SoundCloud, although once I get canceled, I do plan to start a second career I as a SoundCloud that rapper. That would be a great place for you to retreat to. <laughs> yeah. You can find me on Twitter when I get unbanned. Uh, which yeah, what is going happen. on? Well, Jamie, I posted a link to an article that I wrote about a terrorist attack. Uh, oh, they hate that. Twitter banned me for that. Yeah, yeah. They hate it when you. They hate when you report write, the truth. That's bad. When you write. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 fun. Um, Jesus. But you can find me presumably by the time this airs, hopefully, on Twitter at I write okay. You can find this podcast on Twitter at behind the ba- or at bastards pod. Jesus Christ! You can find us on the internet at behindthebastards.com, dot mm-hmm. along with the sources for this article. Uh, you can buy T shirts. You can buy cups. Uh, I got a cup. You can buy branded branded tasers, tear gas grenades, uh, whips and chains, everything you need to make might right in your life off of tpublic.com. Just wow. look up behind the bastards. Terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying. Well. What else, Robert? What, is there something else, Sophie? Yeah, don't you have another podcast with Katie Stoll and Cody Johnston? Uh, those names aren't familiar to me. Oh What's happening? Whom? <laughs> Maybe does uh, one pump, one cream mean anything to you? Sir, now that that now you're speaking my language. <laughs> I also have a podcast with Cody Johnson and Katie Stoll about the 2020 election called Worst Year Ever because it will be the worst year ever. So you can get started this year with some uh, some useful information to to help arm you with knowledge for next year, uh, so that you don't have to arm yourself with sticks and spears uh, uh, in 2021. Um, so Helpful that's the end resource. of the fucking episode. Next episode we'll have more poems. Oh, good. (laughs) Yo-ho. Yo-ho. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz, This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. 
Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love at First Listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.